Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 297 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. In this episode, I'm taking a look at some of the foundational conversations that paved the way for me to choose the theme of intentional comfort and joy for season seven here on the podcast. And I'm really excited about this one because, well, because of a couple of reasons. One, it's so fun having had an a podcast for seven years to kind of see how the tendrils of past conversations start to play in to the themes and the topics that then come up in future seasons. It's so much fun. I would never have never have guessed that this would be one of the delights of having this show. And I'm also realizing that there's a conversation that was had with Jen Oglesby, who is a life coach and a licensed clinical social worker that was on Instagram over the summer, we had it on Instagram Live, and you all may not have yet heard that if you don't follow me over at Jumpstart Your Joy. So I wanted to synthesize some of these ideas so that you get this kind of juicy background of how we got to intentional comfort and joy for season seven and give you a little bit more space to play with the theme itself. I'm also excited to include some nuggets from Eileen Smith, who is a somatic healer and the author of Moving Beyond Trauma, and some audio from Julia Samuel, who is a psychotherapist who specializes in grief and wrote the book Grief Works. Before we get into this, though, I would like to give you all a very warm welcome. It's such a treat to get to do this show, and I'm so excited that I am back and getting to do it weekly with you. If you want to find out more about this episode, about Eileen, about Jen, about Julia, and any of those longer form conversations that I've had, all of those will be in the show notes for this episode, which you can find over on the website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. While you're on the website, I hope that you will do two things that you will sign up for my newsletter because then you get the loving little nudge that there's a new episode up every week along with four or five other joyful things for you to play with on the internet, things that I've curated and found. Um, It's a lot of fun to put those together for you. And you should also buy my book, (laughs) which is called Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. It came out this year. You can buy it in paperback, but if you really love an electronic version of the book, you can buy that now on the website as well, two ways. So you'll find that under the book tab. Let's just dive right in because this is such a fun topic to talk about. We're going to go through three phases here. One, kind of the setup of how we started talking about the need for comfort and joy, and then the discussions with Jen Oglesby, and then kind of a wrap up from me about where do we go from here, which was also part of the theme of the conversation with Jen. So the background, (laughs) right about, uh, I love looking back on this one, because in kind of April or May of 2020, I had Eileen Smith on the show, and she's a specialist in trauma. Uh, She's also a somatic healer, so she helps people work through trauma. And when I was talking to her, we were really dealing with a lot of things. So the pandemic had come in full force, and we were also looking at political upheaval, racial injustice, you know, people losing their jobs, people deeply concerned about their health. And it did feel like the dominoes just kept falling. 
And at this time, that's when I had the conversation with Eileen Smith. It was really interesting to hear her label it as a trauma vortex. Well, I think the first thing to even talk about is the fact that this experience in itself is a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So, right, what is trauma? It's, you know, too much, too soon, too fast without any way to defend yourself. And what I believe is happening is I think that we're living in a collective trauma vortex. And so I think those people that have more resilience, have more resources, are going to navigate through this a little bit better. But all in all, our whole universe has been completely disoriented. And so to start with, there's less distractions. So people are now having to sit with their pain and their discomfort. They can't use all the distractions they were doing. And I consider this to be foundational in thinking about how we can deal with what has been happening over the last 18 months because it gives it a name. And I think naming it and owning it as trauma is especially helpful. And I say this as someone who has had experience with trauma myself. I was diagnosed with postpartum PTSD after the birth of my son. So I do know a thing or two about how trauma happens for people and how as a person, I have a deep-seated need to find intentional comfort. I wouldn't have had those words when I was talking to Eileen about it, but it's interesting to know that once we recognize this is traumatic and one of the ways to handle this is to lean into comfort. And that's definitely one of the things that my friend Tammy Hackbarth also talks about, and I will have her on later this season. But this idea that when we know it's trauma and we know that comfort and taking care of ourselves, nurturing ourselves, and leaning into those things that feel better for ourselves is one way through trauma, I think that's a really important foundational piece. And so that important thing was naming what we were going through. The next piece is that Jen Oglesby and I met through our friend Michelle Ward. We both are joy enthusiasts, and we decided that it would be a lot of fun to have a three-part conversation that we called What the Hell Just Happened to Us? And it was one of those conversations that we felt like nobody was having, and it was really interesting because we were both life coaches. We both have a very similar lens on things. And so the things that we, that we were addressing, part one was what the hell just happened to us? Part two was how the hell do we land and find our grounding again? And then part three was where the hell do we go from here? So I want to tease out some of the really great nuggets that came out for you because Jen reveals so many wise things and it was such a joy to speak with her that I just, yeah, this conversation around intentional comfort just wouldn't be the same without her voice being involved. So in our first conversation, we started by looking at what had happened to us collectively as a population in the United States during the pandemic. I don't think anyone is an expert in how to do this. I think that's the first thing. I'm a clinician. We're both coaches. Like we have these tools, but it's going to look different for everybody. And nobody knows what this looks like right now. And so I can just share what I'm thinking about. One of the things I'm thinking about is just taking that pause. Like I really haven't made space to just sit and where we've been. And I'm very much a, like a ritual person or I just feel like I need to create some sort of space and I haven't figured out what that looks like yet. But how can I just take a moment to let myself be in that space, to take that pause, to understand where we've been? The other thing I'm noticing is that my nervous system is still needing a lot of attention. And so 
being aware that there is still some activation there and, you know, the things that I need to do, whether that's breathing or meditation or movement, like what are the things that give my nervous system that relief and that kick in those parasympathetic side of things. And then I think the other piece is just, I want to acknowledge for myself. And I think it's important for us all to acknowledge like the resilience that we've had. I know it's, it sounds silly to say now in a way. And also kind of traumatic too, but how I felt those first two weeks, like how it really felt like the world was ending. And just a reminder that we can do so much more than we think we can. And it sucked that we were forced to do that. That was, this is not the way I would have chosen to develop some resilience, but just acknowledging for ourselves and for each other, like how we did show up for ourselves and for each other feels important to me. And just really celebrate that for ourselves. So how about you? What are you thinking about? Well, I think I, I really do like what you said about acknowledging that like <laughs> the nervous system still needs a little bit of like bolstering and like taking things a lot, still taking things easier than probably I did in 2019. You know, that means more naps, <laughs> You're just taking a walk for sure every day, but finding some way to get out of my head. So that's like kind of the semantics of things in coaching language, like making sure that I'm doing something that's not just here in the house. Because I'm I'm noticing now my tendency is to stay in my house, which is fairly so good for me, um, you know, day after day. We get out on the walk to make sure that that's not happening. I also think acknowledging that we're still at that place where there's not a lot of buffer and as for myself, there's not a lot of buffer and it's easy to get upset or aggravated or worked up over something. Whereas I know pre-pandemic Paula probably wouldn't have been as, um, like you said, activated by those things and saying, hey, okay, we can step back, meaning me and myself. <laughs> we can step back here and take a breather. And what I love is that we talked about naming where we've been and reflected on small ways of coping and how small joys and rituals brought us comfort in allowing us to feel connected to something bigger or something beyond where we were in that moment in the pandemic. I really love this idea of making new traditions and bringing playfulness to our days, even when we were in that quarantine and lockdown. Making time to do something that is not just working towards a, a to-do, it's super important because I think we all got stuck in that space for so long where it was like, I need to take care of all these things so we're safe and we have food. Yes, we do need to do that. How do I also kind of nurture the more fun side of things? I think it's something that's important to consider too. So we created in our house Frothy Friday, which is when we would go get coffees. And we did Saturday, Sunday, which is we would have an ice cream Sunday party every Saturday. And we did al fresco Sunday, which is when we ate outside and just like having, and we still do those things. I mean, those are things that have carried over, but it was like, I don't know where the joy is right here. So let's create some spaces where we know it's coming, where we can have a little something special for ourselves or create a little bit of fun. And if it looks like an ice cream Sunday right now, and that's the best that we can do, then I'm taking the ice cream Sunday. But yeah, it did go good. Another one we did was... <laughs> We would go out the yard and, and we've got some water guns that would we would shoot, but it, we're watering the yard. But I mean, we're really just having a water gun fight. Like that was another thing that was like, let's just get outside and do something a little goofy. And we have a patio, so right behind me, but 
that thing set up and all summer we would go out there and just be like it's an extra room in our house kind of that is outdoors we didn't have a lot of outdoor spaces we could be in and it's been nice to keep it going because now people could come over and hang out there even though we don't need to be distanced like we did in our second conversation, which was a couple weeks later, we were answering the question of how do we land? How do we ground ourselves in in now, having been through what we've been through? Part of that discussion was about finding comfort. How do we find comfort? We are so anxious to get back to where we were or to something that feels familiar that I think maybe a lot of us are, are rushing to that. We can't go back to what was. It's impossible to do it. And that feels hard. So maybe there's somewhat of the release of, yeah, we're transitioning into something different for all of us. It's not just for you or just for me, but everyone's transitioning to something new after what they've been through. And I think that is acknowledging that it has been high stress and it's been filled with ambiguity. Those are two really hard things for humans to deal with. And our response to high stress and to ambiguity is to beeline it for exactly what's comfortable and familiar, which is fine and good. And that's why we've all been eating our comfort food and watching our comfort TV and doing all the comfort things. And we needed all those comfort things. Like I bought a weighted blanket. I was like, I need all the things. Just wrap me up and bring me some tea. And I know that for so many of us during the pandemic and during the height of quarantine, many of us were vowing to ourselves that we wanted to do things differently once we were on the other side of this. Many of us saw something about our society or about ourselves in the midst of that political unrest and the racial injustice. And we vowed to do, we vowed that we would change and do something different. And I think this, this ties into comfort in kind of a deep-seated way. And that is that in the midst of all of that trauma, many of us saw something that was a deep sense of discomfort in how our world was acting and how maybe we interacted as individuals with other people. And so in noticing that discomfort, I I believe that our vows were to find something that is more comfortable for the whole, something that works better for everyone involved. And and so I, I think there's something very deep about this discussion of noticing what wasn't working for us individually and those vows that we were making about being a better, different, fuller version of ourselves on the other side of the pandemic. We also said pretty clearly a lot of us About a year ago, maybe six months ago, we are so clear now about what we want things to look like. Like this experience has brought things into focus and we understand now what's important to us. There were so many conversations where people were feeling that clarifying of priorities and values and what's important. And what's interesting is now we're at the point where it's like, okay, So we knew that, and this is the point where we have to make a conscious choice about how we want to move forward. And I think to me, that's why this conversation feels so important. Like, how do we want to land? Because if we don't take a second to land before we just keep moving, we're going to beeline right back to where we were and we've missed the opportunity to create something new and something different that's more aligned with all the things that we've learned through this experience. Right. And I think it's also important because we've been in that high stress zone for so long that like probably mentally and emotionally, (laughs) we need to like stop 
and pause before, like you said, we just jump right into the next thing. And the second part of that that I'm kind of hearing from what you said is there's also that opportunity in the pods, say what it is that we want to bring forward or who we want to be on the other side of this or whatever that language is. And it's almost like it's two things because we need the break. It's been nonstop for so long. And we can also use that pause to define for ourselves what's important. And like you said, what those things were that we were like, this is so clear when this is all over, I'm going to fill in the blank, whatever that was. And I know just personally for myself, I have definitely felt like I just want to lean into the pause and to the rest. We, we need that pause and we need that space and we need that room to breathe. But we have an opportunity in that space to go, oh, and what comes next? And let me be mindful about how I want to move forward in that. Because I do personally feel a little bit removed from all of those commitments I made to myself last fall, all those places where I thought, oh, I'm so clear. They're still there, but they feel much more peripheral. And I know if I don't pay attention to them, it's going to be easy for them to slip away. And in my experience, it's a lot easier to decide what I want to let in than to let things in and decide, oh, I need to like push that back out. We've been forced to put up these books around our castle in the last year of like, we can't let things in. And I want to be careful when I open the gates that it's not just flooding all back in. And I know it's going to be a lot easier for me to create what I want for myself on the other side if I'm mindful of what comes through that gate versus like letting it all back in and then trying and going, oh, oh shit, <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. And I didn't yeah, pay attention. It's all back here. Yeah. And now I got to get it out. And that's way harder than deciding what comes in. And the other thing that I loved about the second discussion that Jen and I had was that we were looking at ways to move forward without being in that hypervigilant mode. And this ties into comfort because as we step out of trauma and as we let go of the hold that trauma has in our life, it allows us to relax and it allows us to pause and slow down and allows us to get into a place of comfort versus this place of hypervigilance. And of course, hypervigilance serves us when we are in a traumatic situation, but then it is something that we have to be mindful of and that you have to let go of as you move forward so that you can ease into something else. One of the things that I think that gives us is it gives us a place to land in the middle of all this ambiguity because it's easy to say things are so uncertain and I don't know what's next, but there are a lot of things that we know to be true. And I think what that does taking stock, what we want to stop, start and continue. One of my favorite questions is like, how do I want to feel? So how have I felt like what's felt good in the last year? Like there's been a whole lot that's felt like shit, but what has felt good? What parts of it felt good that I want to carry forward? And in this ambiguity and in this liminal space, we do have anchors. We do have places where we can land. That that I want to take, that I know is true. This I know is true. And one of the things that I love that you've talked about is like, how do we trust in the good again? Like we've been in sort of this space where everything felt so scary, but there is good out there. Like that is true. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that strikes me too, when you just said about what do we know to be true and what do we know to be good and resting in that? I know we talked about last time 
how no, they, no one came to save us. Like we didn't know who they were, like even politicians or whatever nets we thought we had in place as a society, like those weren't there. But when you were just saying that, it made me think of Fred Rogers, you know, how he says, always look for the helpers. And I think the other thing, I mean, this is aha moment for me, like it was so easy to look for what wasn't working and be frustrated and know like we were in this really difficult space. And maybe another really cool thing would be to document who were the helpers. Like there were some, I mean, all the frontline people, all of those folks, anyone that was going to work at a grocery store, like all those people were helpers. And so I think there is some joy to be seen in that and some things to trust in the good. And maybe that's just one of the things we need to show ourselves as well is there, there was a safety net. Even if we were quick to say there wasn't, there were so many helpers. And I think we all became helpers too. And we, we rose to an occasion probably in ways we wouldn't have known we could have in December of 2019. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to remember like back when everyone was putting out rainbows, like we're all in this together. And um, we really were. And I think, you know, over time, as we get normalized to the crises that we're in, that became less present for us. But there was a lot of connection that, and just different ways to have some shared humanity that we hadn't had before. And so, and I think too, how did we help ourselves? Like who was out there helping us? Like who are the helpers? But also what did we learn about ways that we can help ourselves and show up for ourselves and take care of ourselves and comfort ourselves and help ourselves feel safe. And that's information for us, you know, that we can use and carry forward as well. I agree. Yes. Because that's the other piece is how do we move forward without being in hypervigilant, angsty mode? And then going into, I love you said this to me, you mentioned this, like we're going into all these activities that we used to do, like... Which yeah, for most of us is not the energy we want to be bringing. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, somatics, what is our body? What is our physical feeling about something in case people are not following that? It matters and, and how you feel in your body and how you carry stress and how you hold yourself and, and then also related to self-care. I think those things became super important when there was so little else that we could control. And so one of my, one of my starts <laughs> was I really started maintaining bedtime, which I didn't do last night, but for the most part, I am now maintaining a bedtime and that's helped, it's helped shift a lot of things, even easier to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> myself and my family. And then another thing that I did and so we always love to talk about meditation. By we, I mean coaching. <laughs> I know some people don't like a sitting meditation because they're like, my brain just goes to everything else. Like, you know, I can't sit and just be still. And I'm probably kind of one of those people. Um, and so in December, I decided to take a certification or a training program to be a, a labyrinth facilitator. Now, Labyrinths are a walking meditation and they are not specifically religious or anything like that. You just set an intention as you walk in and then you just kind of let it, let it be. And I found that to be really helpful. And it's a really interesting way to do a meditation if you're like, yeah, I can't do a seated meditation. <laughs> and so it's a really nice way to like kind of just give yourself 
a pal. Jen and I established some of the basics around setting up intentional comfort. And for us, and maybe for you too, in the middle of this pandemic and maybe in future difficult times, it really came down to some basic things for us. One of them being having a schedule, a reliable schedule each day or each week so we knew what to expect. Comfort also looked like honoring what you need in a day. Emotionally, physically, we talk about, you know, taking time apart from people if it got to be too much. We talk about taking a walk if that's what you need or doing something else physical if that's what you need. The third thing that I see is that we were honoring that it's okay to take up the space that you need and that it's okay to be clear with other people that that's one of your needs. I think in playing nice and trying to keep the peace for so many people, many of us avoided having difficult conversations because we didn't want to make things worse. And one of the things Jen and I are recognizing is that speaking those things that we need became really important. And considering your interactions with other people. Maybe there were some people that offered you great comfort and that you knew you could have a great conversation with during the pandemic and during other times. And maybe there's some other people that you just know are not that kind of a person for you. And it's important to notice who those people are and who you spend your time with. Yeah, so meditation for me too. I tend to do guided meditations. Um, I use the Shine app a lot for that. So I like that. Something that I found interesting is what sound does for me. So putting on like, like lately I've been like talking to my Google Manny, Google, play relaxing sounds. And it just starts playing the ocean. And I'm like, ah. Or like forest sounds or just having quiet music on in our house. Movement is always helpful for me. So I can just feel it in my body if I need to go walk or run or do some kind of yoga or something like that. I started doing, um, I went to this retreat center for 24 hours and they had this book on Zentangle, which I had never heard of before, but it's kind of like this um, meditative doodling. And I... I'm not an artist. Like I've always been like, I don't draw, I don't color, I don't do that kind of stuff. But just, but it's so different and just having something to do with my hands. And so I've been doing some of that too. And I'm really, I I just cannot stress enough how different my days are when I do and don't do those things. Like I don't do all of them every day, not even close. But if I haven't taken a deep breath or if I haven't gone for a walk or if I haven't just, checked in with my senses and my body in any way at all, the reactivity in my day is so much greater. And um, and I have trouble, like everybody else, prioritizing those things sometimes. And of course, routines have been all out of whack as we're going through the pandemic. And now there's summer. And it's, if you have kids like I do, it throws everything into whack. And a lot of people are going back to the office. But those practices have been really really helpful for me. Uh, Anything that gets you connected with your senses, um, whether you're touching something, listening to something, and also my weighted blanket. (laughs) I don't sleep with it, Uh, but I'm like, lately I'm like, you know what I need right now? Just need a cup of tea and my blanket. And it really is this feeling that I just want to like go mother myself in a little cocoon. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Our nervous systems need that. You really do. 
And I think this has been this really interesting thing where now that we start to, to notice that like we need and we crave these things, I'm like, I can no longer ignore, but I actually need these things. Like I actually do need to go on a walk every afternoon. It's not just me walking. The dog is not an excuse. <laughs> like I need it. And I think it's a new place as well is, um, because we're both, we're both mothers. I think we get into that place of like always being focused on what we're doing for someone else. And that's just not cracking it anymore. I don't even know if that's like the right way to say it, but like, that's not going to work. It, I have to, in some instances, be the first priority or this is all gonna, this is all gonna fall apart pretty quick. But it felt like we all had the experience of like having our kids home and having to work at the same time. And I just understood that like they need that space too and they can find things to do with that space and they can grow in their own ways and be their own person in their own space. And I think because I was forced to give them that space, I was able to see like, there's like, I don't need to be so present all the time. And so it was good for them and it was good for me. And so that was another thing that I want to carry forward is um, I had to get more creative, but they did too. And they did. They totally did. Yeah. And so creativity is another thing I want to carry forward. That felt important this year and something that I want to hang on to. I agree. Because I think in the past, I would ignore being creative or when things got overwhelming, I would find it really difficult to be creative. But then that would be like self-perpetuating because then without an outlet to just sit and be because it is meditative if you're coloring or <laughs> drawing something or going out to take photos or whatever your outlet is, then it would, then I wouldn't have taken the time for myself, but this maybe was a little different because I wanted, and I do consider podcasting to be a creative art form, but I would take time and make sure I did that. And I always felt a little better after it. So I think it's become clear that it's not just a fun thing to do. And it's also not something I should ignore even when things are difficult. The output might be different. <laughs> Because I'm a little bit distracted, but maybe that means it's time to color where I don't have to, I don't have to be creating to be creative. Yes. And at every form of creativity in one way or another is connecting us with one of our senses. And so it puts us in that present moment and maybe we're not going to have the best output of our creativity, you know, like a product, but it has its own intrinsic value. And I think actually it's the perfect place when we're in a liminal place or we're stressed out to bring in that creativity is like another way to be connected with ourselves and be in our bodies and our senses. Um, and it puts us in a completely different part of our brain, which is like, yeah. like let's give this part of our brain a rest <laughs> and let's yeah. go over here and just be in the moment. It could be another form of meditation, really. The third part of our conversation revealed a lot of things about comfort, and I really loved it. One of the things that we talked about was getting comfortable with ambiguity, which is so hard and which I think in looking back over the last year and a half is something each of us wrangled in our own ways, some better than others. And the other thing that Jen and I talked about was sitting with discomfort. I pulled out this book, which is When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, and she's a Tibetan Buddhist. It seems like a title that like nobody really wants to dive into this, but it's so appropriate right now. So when I opened this, didn't even plan it, honestly. Here's the one that I've underlined. 
from five years ago in trading or seven years ago or whatever it is now in trading. Maybe the only enemy is that we don't like the way reality is now and therefore wish it would go away fast. And she's talking about how do people act and, and what do we do when things fall apart? And that so much of the energy and the effort and the emotion that we put into things is fighting the reality of what is. And uh, Byron Katie is another great one to, like, if you want to dig into this, her book is Loving What Is. And it hasn't just been an emotional battle. For sure, I'm not trying to minimize that. But that's so much of this battle internally for all of us is wanting things to be different and wanting to get away from the discomfort that they're not what we're used to. And we want to get away from that super fast. Mm -hmm. It kind of brought me to this place where, you know, maybe in the stages of grief, even that we're in this place of acceptance and not that we have to love it. This is where we are. I'm not, I'm not trying to run away as Pim and children would say, I'm not trying to run away fast from this acceptance or from this situation, but I, I can stand in it. I can deal with it. I can be here. Something that's coming to mind for me as you're talking is just how linear our culture is. So we think like we just keep going and then we get to the end. And the fact that we might be lying and go backwards and upside down, we we don't think that way and we don't like that. And so that was one piece that was coming to me because I'm like, yeah, we're things are moving. And so, of course, they're going to move forward towards an end. Right. That's how life works. So that's one thing that I am like, OK. This was not a linear movement. I want it to be linear and it's not. And I like thinking about the like frameworks of where we are. And the one that comes to mind for me, because I'm a Martha Beck trained life coach, is Martha Beck's cycles of change. And so there's four squares and there's square one, which is, I don't know what the hell's going on. There's square two, which is, okay, I'm starting to emerge and envision what life will be like after whatever this thing is. I'm not doing anything yet, but I can imagine what it might be like on the other side. And then square three is where you're actually taking steps to make that vision a reality or take on a new identity or do something different and new. And then stage four is called the promised land where everything is kind of set. You know, you're just moving along until the next thing comes and knocks you back to square one. And one of the things I keep thinking about, like in terms of the pandemic, it's very normal in square three to find yourself back in square one. And I feel like that's what's coming to me right now is I had this vision. I was trying to get really clear about what I want life to look like for me and my family on the other side of this. And how do we want this to go and expecting things to go in a linear way. And now I feel like I've been kicked back to square one where I'm kind of like, okay, well now what the hell's going on? Because this is not where I thought we were going. And one of the things that I keep and I can kind of catastrophize that. Like, it's easy for me initially to just panic and go, how are we here again? Does this mean we're going to go backwards? But what I keep trying to remember is change is also a spiral. So yes, in some ways we are getting kicked back to square one, but we're not at the very bottom. We're higher up on this sort of spiral staircase. And so that helps me. I don't know that I am totally an acceptance because it feels like too new. Like I haven't gone through all the other, like I haven't had all the feelings yet. I don't really know how I feel, but I do know that like, even though in this moment I can get caught up in thinking we're right back at the beginning and this is not where I want it to be. We're not back at the beginning. There's a lot that we know that we didn't know before. There's a lot that we know about how to manage this that we didn't know before. 
a year ago. We were just like trying it out and waiting for the data to come in and hoping that was going to keep us safe. So that's like helping me to just place myself in that. Yeah. Reality expectations, not the same. Going back to square one, but it doesn't mean I'm going back to the beginning and back to the bottom. And that helps me. The other thing that's been swirling around in the pandemic and the events of the last 18 months is that sense of grief. And it's a, and in so many ways, it's interesting because grief is a lot like that ambiguity and that discomfort that we are all sitting in. And they're probably really closely related. What I, I know is that even early on in the pandemic, the Harvard Business Review released an article on their website called That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And they're talking in this article about the coronavirus and the pandemic and how the feeling that we were all feeling was in fact grief. And in thinking about that and how we navigate through the stages of grief and the stages of change that Jen was talking about, I know I found myself reflecting on the conversation that I had had with psychotherapist and grief expert, Julia Samuel. And this was way before the pandemic. And what really stood out to me about that conversation was that even in the hardest times of deep grief and really difficult situations, it is even more important for our own mental health and for our well-being and for our sense of resiliency that we start to lean in to those things that bring us joy or that, in this case, bring us intentional comfort. When people are grieving, they feel very chaotic and they feel very sort of lost and out of control. The message that I'm wanting to um, get across is in some ways manifold, in other ways very simple. So the, the message is that you can't avoid grief. You know, people want to control it, they want to shape it, they want to stop it. And, and naturally, of course, you don't want to feel pain. Nobody does. But grief has... It's a natural healing process that has a sort of passage and process of its own. And it's pain is the agent of change. Pain is the thing that forces us against our will and against what we wish to recognize the reality of the death of the death of the person that we love. So it's pain that forces us to adjust to our new present without the person in it. And so the message is that you need to find ways of supporting yourself through the pain. And it's often the things that you do to stop your pain that actually cause you harm. What I talk about is that you need to find a way of expressing your grief. And you can have all sorts of ways of expressing your grief that are not helpful. You know, where, where you have fights with people, where you're, you know, constantly raging around. And anger, it's fine to kind of scream into a pillow or bash a pillow afterwards you have to do some kind of meditation to calm you down and then you have to sort of switch watch something funny or listen to something funny so that you don't stay in the anger because otherwise if you trigger the anger and let it really be expressed and don't find a way of winding it down calming yourself down soothing yourself it just multiplies mm. so it's really about moving from states it's allowing yourself time to talk to a friend or be sad or drum or do something that you feel is expressing your grief. It can be painting, it can be gardening, there's no prescription, but then doing also something that soothes you, that calms you, that distracts you, that allows you to have a break from the pain and kind of choosing to do both, I think is very, very helpful. 
I really love what Julia Samuel has to say here because it does speak to her experience over the last year and a half, even though what she was actually talking about was the grief that people usually experience when they lose someone else in their life. But I think there's something to take here from how grief feels much like we felt over the last 18 months and how we do have a desire to get away from it, just like the discussion we had about Pema Chodron. We would like to remove ourselves from it, but there really is no other way than going right through the middle of it. And that's what makes it so hard. So I hope that this background and and this look back at how we got to this conversation of intentional comfort and joy is helpful to you. The big takeaways for me are one, that it's important to name the time that we've just been through and acknowledge that it was difficult. I felt like Eileen Smith's naming of the trauma vortex was especially helpful for me because it gives us a place to start. I really also love the conversation that Jen Oglesby and I had, which was really around those, the questions of how do I want to feel now? What's important for me in this moment? What do I know to be true? And where can I choose to see the good in this situation, even though it seems really hard right now? I think those were some of the guiding principles that were leading our conversation and that kind of arrived at that place of needing to carve out this room for intentional comfort for ourselves because when things feel really hard, it's important to know that we can lean on things that make it feel a little bit easier because for sure we have to be able to reset and recharge. And like Jen said, in the four stages of change, we often do get thrown back to step one and feel like, ah, what's going on here? How come I'm not making any steps forward? I love that she reframed that as understanding that there has been forward motion. We're not always starting right back at the very beginning. And I love considering the framework that Julia Samuel has layered in here as well, because I think it's important to understand that grief can strike anywhere and that choosing intentional things that make our lives easier when we're in a hard time is beneficial and helpful and an important part of mental health. So that's where we are. And I would love to hear what you think of this episode. It's kind of that interesting mashup and you're getting inside my head a little bit about how I got to this theme for this season. If you want to send me a note at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com, I'd love to hear from you and see if you have any insights about the last 18 months that you want to share or just any feedback. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 297. And there you'll find links to the longer versions of each of those conversations and some of the books that we've talked about if you want to dig in and learn a little bit more. And of course, when you're on the website, you can sign up for my newsletter so you'll get those nudges each week when a new episode comes out. And be sure and buy my book, which is <laughs> Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. It's all about the uh, journey of the last year and what it's like to live in those hard times and still find joy. Next week on the show, I'm really excited to be joined by Amy Bernhardt, who is the owner of Mimi's Little Lovies, which is a company that makes beautiful handmade clothes and items for children, along with some other handcrafted home goods. And it's really a delight to get to speak with her about how she has found intentional comfort both through the pandemic and in starting her own business. She's such a joyful person, and I can't wait to share that conversation with you. So I hope you'll come on back next week for that discussion with Amy. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.